As we begin this evening, let's bow our hearts for prayer. Father in heaven, it is truly, truly a privilege to be in thy house in this evening. Lord, we're, we even get a little emotional as we came down the roads this, this morning or afternoon and passed the exits knowing that we were getting close to Eastern Camp once again. And Lord, we're so thankful that you've seen fit to bless us that we could be here together and to be collectively at thy feet for learning. Lord, we're thankful that we've been given the privilege to do so, thankful that all the hard work that loved ones have put in for years now to be able to coordinate and organize this have come to fruition, and and here we sit. And so, Father, as we would open your word in this evening and look for a blessing, we know we can expect one, Father, but we pray that our expectations could be put to the side. Pray that our thoughts and motives ideas at what to expect for Camp 2022 would have been left outside these doors, Lord, and that thy spirit could speak to us from your word where it's needful for each of our hearts. Father, we are mindful of those who can't be with us, who would love to, for any number of reasons. You know them, and you know that they could be with us in spirit, if not physically, and so we would intercede on their behalf as well and pray that they too could experience a measure of the blessing that we are grateful and excited to share with one another. And so now, Lord, be with us. Guide our minds and our thoughts as we would look into your word. And for that blessing, we will give thee thanks for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage that we're going to look at this evening is probably not surprisingly right from the theme for camp this year in Psalm 85. And while you're finding that and while you're, I know this is kind of last minute, everybody's trying to get settled for the first night, but I have to tell you, I was, I've always been super excited for camp. As a kid, I remember that um, excitement, the butterflies in your stomach, I'm going to date myself, but for me it was Juniata when we would start coming around the last corner and driving up and seeing Ellis Hall. Getting a little older, it was coming and bouncing over these railroad tracks over there by the dog food plant and seeing the water tower. And this year I got to hear my kids in the back seat squealing as we were getting close to camp. And it really struck me. I'll confess I wasn't quite as excited about Sunday night this year as I had in the past. But to see the joy on their faces as they knew that they were getting close to an opportunity to see their friends, their cousins, their loved ones, those folks that they haven't seen in so long, and, and remembering what that was like. Remembering how the adults in my life had always talked about camp as being that time that we would go and we would recharge our spiritual batteries. And so I wonder what your expectations were for camp this year. For me, it was, uh, there was excitement, there was... Um, it's a little different than what we've had in the past. Maybe it's just the, the pause or the, the couple of years that we've missed together. But I had this thought as I saw the theme, Revive Us Again, and immediately my mind went to the song. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. 
Hallelujah, thine the morning. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the morning. Revive us again. I hope I quoted that correctly now that I'm saying it. But the excitement that we hear in that song, the excitement that fills us as we sing that, that's not a, that's not a dour song. That's not a, a pleading song of the Lord. That's an exciting, rejoicing song. Revive us again. And this year, more than any year, isn't that the perfect theme for us to come into Eastern Camp 2020? 2022. Funny part is, that was a theme, if I understand it from the brothers correctly. I actually remember that theme being thrown around for quite a few years, but if I understand correctly, that was a theme that was considered for 2022, for 2020, excuse me. For the first camp that we missed, that was the theme that was thought for, or thought of. And I wonder, I, I, I wonder what the brothers were thinking. I wonder what the inspirations were for those that had written out that theme and said that, you know, at that point in time, we really needed revival. Do we need it as much today? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I think of that, when I, when I saw that theme, I thought, of, boy, we really need to have this revival of our spiritual freedom to be able to come into fellowship and freedom together, to rejoice together, to share with one another of the experiences we've made over the last number of years, to have a time of of encouragement, to have a time of, of learning. In my notes, one thought that came to mind or one example was, like some, I know sometimes I've treated camp as like a spiritual spa experience. I put everything else away, I don't have to think about anything else, and there's just this cool, soothing spiritual music that's going on in the background of our lives as we are here worshiping and fellowshipping together. But have you ever read Psalm 85 to see where the psalmist was writing? I'm just, just for the sake of argument, I'm going to use David's name as the psalmist. I may be wrong, but it'll keep me from stumbling in my words. As the psalmist writes here in Psalm 85, I wonder if revive us again has the same impression on you that it had on me. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto, the land, unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. That glory may dwell in the land, in our land. Mercy and truth are met up together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. And the righteous shall look down, excuse me, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. All of Psalm 85. 
So when I read that psalm, I don't hear the song playing in, in the background. I don't hear a peppy um, spiritual hymn that's supposed to encourage me and give me all kinds of confidence and, and warm and fuzzy feelings about that I'm going to be, be revived. What's being written here, and, and we, can, we can guess whether the captivity they're talking about is, is Babylonian captivity. It, do, it doesn't really matter. But the psalmist is writing here, recalling of God bringing his people out of captivity. Saying, you've been favorable unto the land. You have brought back the captivity. You brought us out of captivity. Remember when you brought us out of captivity? Remember when you freed us from the shackles of our oppressor? You've taken away thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of your anger. You were mad at us, Lord. You were, you were upset with us. And disclaimer right off the bat, this is not going to be a cold water sermon. I promise. But I was convicted by the way that this was, was broken out. The psalmist is, is pleading with God to remember the victory, to remember the freedom, to remember the um, redemption that he had given his people. And he asks them in verse 4. He says, Turn us, or restore, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Is this ever going to stop? Is this ever going to let up? Is there ever going to be peace and freedom that we're going to be able to feel again? And then our theme verse. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people might rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. If I take the front end of this, this psalm, that should be convicting to every single one of us. And you say as a believer, well, why, why should that be convicting to me? Well, why do I have to worry about that? Why should I have to hear this plead or this plea from the psalmist to God to, to take me out of this, this captivity, to revive me? Won't you revive me? Lord, won't you search me? Won't you try me? Won't you clean me? Why, why should I have to think about that? This is a really good theme for the unconverted. This is a really good theme to talk about those that are still in shackles, to those that are still slaves to sin, that have not tasted of the grace of God and had victory. That's who this is for. But what I was really convicted by as I was studying and, and looking into these, these scriptures, and I shouldn't even say even studying, but preparing for camp, was God saying, what needs to be cleaned out in your life? If revival is necessary, it's so necessary we stuck it on the banner and we all came here and we all sing that song very comfortably and excited. But if revival is necessary, it's because there's something dying in me. There's something that I've allowed to quench out the Spirit's work in my life. There's something that has taken precedence in my life. There's something that has taken focus in my life. And I would venture to say for every single one of us, there is something like that. Why can we say that? Why can we say that that's the case? The next verse 
that the psalmist writes is the one that I'd, I'd love to focus on. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. As a believer, I think we can all relate to that thought or to that fact or that occurrence in our lives where there was that thing, there's that sin in our life, that stumbling block in our life that our old sin nature continues to hit us over the back of the head with. And we don't know why it doesn't go away. We don't know why it continues to be there. But it is that thing, that folly, that continues to to chase after us. But the verse gives us the answer on what to do. The, the verse gives us the answer to how to seek this revival, how to have that victory over that folly. And it says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Who do we listen to? Who do I listen to? Or do I listen at all? We had a I guess it's humorous. I thought it was kind of funny. Not in the moment. I didn't think it was funny. But afterwards, uh, last week, week before last, um, Ashley and I were trying to coordinate some things with the kids on a Friday afternoon, and I was going to pick them up. She had a meeting to run to, and in the morning we had planned out everything we were going to do. Little did I know that somewhere along the course of the day, something had changed. And as a mom does, she improvised. She changed, made better plans. Everything was running smoothly, but she needed to tell me what those plans were. I finished up work. I knew that uh, the kids were just, I think it doesn't matter. My mom, a babysitter, doesn't matter. There were five minutes I was going to be home. I gave her a buzz and I said, hey, hon, I'll be home in five minutes and then I will. And I listed out like a project manager does all the things that needed to happen and were going to happen because I had organized them we're going to happen before she got home. And she said, wait. And I just kept talking. And then we're going to do this. And she said, wait. And then I'm going to do this. And then I'll pick this up and I'll fire up the grill. And, and she said, can you just stop talking? I stopped like a good husband. And I listened. And she said, something changed. Here's where you need to be. Here's what I put in the fridge. Here's what, everything was laid out. Everything was right. It was perfect. Somebody had a plan. But the guy with the plan at the front end of the day had no idea where he was going. And I'm ashamed to say that that is often how I live my life. And I would venture to say many of you do too. Where we have our minds so focused on this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And come anything that may do not get in my way. And in the last generation of which I'm a part, I think we've gotten more hard-headed and more opinionated as to what our plan is, how we're going to execute it, and don't want to hear what anybody else would say. And so maybe that's why, when I turn to this passage, the verses that jumped off the page to me as if they were highlighted were, I will hear what the Lord God will speak. If you asked any one of us, of course we hear what God would speak. We're here every Sunday. We're here every Wednesday night. We're here for a whole week. We've waited more than a thousand days to get back here. We've waited so long. Cannot wait to get here. God, speak. 
but I'm often not quiet enough to hear what he wants to speak. And I've already got a preconceived notion as to what he's going to say, and I've already put a plan together how I'm going to execute that thing that I'm expecting him to say. There are a thousand... Why did I throw a number on it? There are any number of scriptures that we could look at in parallel to this, but at home we've been in Colossians for a little while, and there were some verses that I'd like to share that struck me as, as dovetailing with this thought of hearing what the Lord would speak. The book of Colossians is an interesting one. It's one Paul writes to Colossae, to the believers in Colossae. This is a group of folks he's never met. Folks that have never seen him, he even says it right there, that have never seen my face. And he's writing to them because of concerns that he has in the church about how they've been drawn away from their first love and have added on these different teachings, complicating teachings into their walks. And there can certainly be another study for another time on that. But as he walks them through this letter, some verses that I wanted to highlight for us. In, in verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father, verse 19, chapter 1, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things on earth or in things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind, hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Beautiful description of a walk of faith. Beautiful description of the redemption that we find in Christ. Of the work that Christ did in our lives to save us. That was the end of verse 22. It ends with a colon. And then it says in verse 23, If ye... Continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not, a moved, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Another disclaimer. This isn't going to be a message. I'm not trying to allude to faith by works or any way, shape, or form. But I'm also not going to delete the if ye in between these two verses. What it says to me, what it shows me in the context of what Paul was writing to the church in Colossae, he's like, our salvation is sound and he has done all of this work in our lives. But he's asking us for some obedience. He's asking us to listen to him and to do what he has said. In chapter 3, it gets even a little more clear. Chapter 3 starts, If ye then be risen with Christ, maybe revived is not the same as risen, but can we say that they're fairly close in comparison? If ye then be revived in Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then we get to the how-tos. We start out with, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Forget about all the distractions that you've had here below. Because you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. If you're risen, if you're to be revived, if you have been risen with Christ, 
you're actually dead, and that's a good thing. But somewhere along the way, I've found it necessary, or not necessary, but found it fruitful to revive some of those other portions of my old nature that I thought added something to my spiritual walk. The old Mike wasn't that bad of a guy, so maybe he can add something to the new Mike that walks in Christ. But Paul says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And we don't have to go through the whole list. But kill those members inside of you that are upon the earth. Yeah, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. That's not a complete list. Let's just be clear. There's a thousand other things that could have been on that list, many of which come in our mouth and out our mouth all the time. But it says mortify those things a little farther down. Lie not one to another. Um, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Okay, verse 12. Put on therefore. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Clearly this is the dead me being risen with Christ because the old me couldn't put these on. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body, and be thankful. I love that the last two pieces of that are not... um, they're just not just natural things, right? Forgiving, forbearing, those, those seem to, to flow out of us, or they should, right? They should. But the last one says, let, or excuse me, put on charity. Put on love. That takes an action. You have to do something. You have to use some part of you that is not just your mind to put it on. To be active in it. Be active in expressing it. And then let the peace of God. Because maybe putting on the charity is not that fun. And in our lives there are things that want to disturb our peace and so we have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts so that we can be thankful. Coming back to the, the, the thought here from Psalms to this, and where does it dovetail? This, here, I will hear what the Lord God will speak. Hearing is one thing. Listening is another thing. And then what do we do with it? These verses, Apostle Paul told them, here's what I need you to do. Put off the old nature and put on these things. Forget this, do that. I know that we're not all parents in here, but we're all kids at least. How many times did your parents tell you to, very specifically, I need you to put this piece of clothing into the laundry basket? And they came back a couple minutes later or an hour later, and the thing is either in your pocket or in another room or not anywhere where it's supposed to be. We're good at hearing things, or we're good, but we're not necessarily listening to what is going on. Unpacking in our dorm this afternoon was 100% that. I need you to, with, with two of the three children, one was awesome, the other was were a tornado. I need you to take this thing 
and put it over there. And next thing I know, the chairs are spinning around the circle and nobody's paying attention to anything. And I go off the, I fly off the handle. And then I have to think to myself, how many times did God say, this is where I need you to do. This is not a very difficult thing. I need you to go to talk to this person. You know what, Lord? I, I cannot talk to that person right now. I have to prepare for Bible class. I have to prepare for the morning service. I have to play the piano. Then I have to be in the kitchen. And then we have a trustee meeting after church. Yet, I know there's another brother in our church that as soon as God said, go talk to that person, he was sitting next to them. Because he heard, listened, and obeyed in one shot. There's a story. Uh, it's not a story. True story. I say stories are usually false. This is a true story. A little preface. I don't know about anybody else, but I have always wanted to fly. I've always thought that that would be the coolest thing in the world to do. And maybe it goes back to when I was a kid, there was a friend of the family that had model airplanes. And we'd go to this model airplane airport, model airport, whatever, and watch him fly these planes, dive bombing all over the place and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm the guy that on an airplane will often tune in to air traffic control, or not air traffic control, but whatever you can hear, the tower, when they're talking. And they're saying, come to this altitude, come to this heading, and whatever. They're giving clearances. I have no idea what they're saying. I don't know what it means, but I think it's cool. And I thought, what, what an amazing experience it must be to just be free as a bird, to fly however you want. Flight simulator as a kid. Again, dating myself playing on a computer and flipping these planes around, and I'm, I'm getting myself dizzy watching an 11-inch screen. So clearly I'm not cut out for flying, but always have thought that that was the most exceptional thing that somebody could do. Had an opportunity, friend took me up in a helicopter one time. Speechless. Absolutely speechless. And that doesn't happen easily. But you know what? It's not, you know, there's laws that go along with that, right? You can't just fly wherever you want. Maybe if you're the helicopter, you can. But when these planes are flying, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to uh, look at one of those radar overlays as to where planes are at any given time. They fly in lanes. They fly at different altitude lanes. You're doing the most powerful, free thing to do in the world. Even there's a military, if you want to see it, I'll see me later. There is a military radar overlay that you can find that shows where the military planes are flying at any given time over the United States. And they fly in lanes and in altitudes and different way, windows, and I'm not even using the right phrases, somebody can tell me later. Even in those scenarios, there are, there are constraints on the freedom that we have. And so when we say that we have, we have freedom, I, I, I can think of this in terms of, we talk about having freedom in Christ, to do, to do as we will, to walk in the Spirit, but to do as we will. The key is still hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is telling us. If any of the things that we're feeling directed or inspired or motivated to do differ from this, you better check your altitude. I've had to check my altitude this week. 
my GPS coordinates or whatever it was, I had a heading going off this way and compared it to the Word through some advice from a good brother saying, you need to get your bearings straight. But the beautiful part that can happen, the beautiful part that we have as believers, the experience that we have with the Lord is much like the story I just want to tell you. And I'm not a storyteller. There are brothers I love that can tell a story much better than me. This one you can look up later if you want to see the details. Some of you may know already, I shared this at home a few months back. There was a plane coming from the Bahamas, a little nine-seater Cessna. man was on a fishing trip. He's a flooring salesman, by the way. Flooring salesman. He's coming back from a fishing trip, flying on a little one single-engine, single-prop uh, Cessna, nine-seater, but it's just him, the pilot, and one other person. And as they're flying back from, I think it was Nassau or Freeport, it doesn't really matter, heading towards Boca Raton, Florida, all of a sudden the pilot says, I'm not feeling well. Says, that, that'd be a, can you imagine? He's one of three people on a plane, and the pilot says, I'm not feeling well. I'm getting a little hazy, foggy, uh, a bit of a headache. One of the passengers, uh, Darren Harrison is the, the, the man's name. Darren asked the, the pilot, what should we do? No response. He leans forward and sees that the pilot is unresponsive, out cold. Unbuckles himself, starts to walk forward and sees now, realizes now that the plane, he says he looks out the windscreen and all he sees is the ocean. Has the presence of mind, talk about divine intervention, to reach over the man and start pulling the yoke back. Does it just slowly enough that the plane doesn't stall? Does it just quickly enough that they don't crash? Then moves the man out of the way, comes, finds himself, sits down in the seat, grabs the headset off of the pilot, puts the headset on, nothing's happening. Reaches down, sees that through some of this turmoil, the cord's been ripped out of the jack and now he's just looking at a frayed end of a cord. Somehow gets another headset, whatever, and hears air traffic control on the other side and says, Our we need help. Our pilot is incapacitated. On the other end of the line, air traffic control is trying to figure out what to do. There's no pilot flying this plane. They don't know where the plane is. They, these guys that are sitting in the plane can't decipher what the GPS transponders are saying. They don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going. And they don't know how long it's going to take them to get there. Don't know how much fuel they've got. Don't know what their elevation is. Nothing. And so by virtue of asking a couple of questions, Darren's able to say, well, I see the coast. So I must be heading north. They find out that this is a plane. They find the plane. They locate the plane on the radar and know what they're doing. They're able to, do, to note by that fact that it's a nine-passenger Cessna. In air traffic control, they start running around to find, yeah, Bobby Morgan. Make sure I got my names right. These guys need the credit. Find a guy named Bobby Morgan, who in addition to being an air traffic controller, is a flight instructor. Not a flight instructor on this particular kind of plane, but a flight instructor. Bobby Googles real quick, real quick what the cockpit of this little Cessna looks like and starts searching for some of the details and then relays them back to Darren. 
saying, here's what I need you to do. Look at this sensor. It should be just up to the left. You should be able to find this. That'll tell you what your altitude is. This will tell you what your heading is. I want you to try ascending and descending a couple of times so you can get the feel for how this is going to go. Come left, come right. Try a couple of those things. Let's get you comfortable with this plane. Bobby starts looking around, thinking, where are we supposed to go? Boca Raton is close. Darren's actually able to tell him that he can see some of the landscape, things he knows. But that's a little airport, not a lot of runway space. So Darren says, excuse me, Bobby says, keep your heading at XYZ. You're going to see a big airport. We're going to take you to West Palm. It's a little bit farther, but there's a lot more runway to let you roll out on. And so they continue. 20, 30 minutes of practicing, coming around, prepping. And here they are about to, to land. They're, they're approaching West Palm. And Bobby says, well, the airport's going to start getting bigger to you. The, the, that runway's going to start looking bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, they realize they got no flaps. Darren can't figure out how to lower the flaps. You're not supposed to be able to land without flaps. But somehow... They're able to get close. At 200 feet, Bobby says, Darren, you're still going a little too fast. Darren leans over to the passenger, who's now his co-pilot, and says, just stand on the throttle and drop him to the floor. The plane starts to slow down. Darren says to Bobby, by the way, I don't know what to do when when I land. I don't know how to hit the brakes. At some elevation, and those of you in aviation can probably tell me, at some point, he drops off radar. When you get too low, they can't see you anymore. And so Bobby has to sit there and wait and wait to hear something from Darren, good or bad. And so at some point, Bobby says, Darren, how'd you do? Where are, how did it go? And Darren says, oh, it's, it's fine. I'm just trying to figure out if they want me to pull off in taxi. I'm pretty comfortable now. I think I could pull this to a parking spot. It's a funny story. Right? Like you can, I mean, go to the, Google the Today Show. You can watch this guy talk about this. It is a remarkable, funny, beautiful story. But you know, a few things just struck me as, as I was listening to that story. For one, what kind of faith does it take to reach back or to lean back and say to the man guiding you to the ground, what do I do when I land? The expectation that I'm going to be on the ground. This is coming down. I'm going to park this thing. What does that say about the man that was teaching him along the way, that was guiding him through each step? What does that say about the man listening to the steps when he said, come, come to this heading? How obedient was that man to come to that heading to bring this to a good end. Do I look at my spiritual life that way? I didn't. I did not look at my spiritual life that way. But until I heard this story, started reading these scriptures, the Lord's given me a, a, a window into my spiritual life relating it to that kind of a flight. This is a plane I do not know how to fly. Boats, I'm good. Cars, I'm good. You want me to back up a trailer? No problem. But put me in an airplane? Never been there. Don't know how to do it. Get a little queasy with roller coasters, so can't imagine what I would do under more G's. And yet sometimes I feel like I and a whole lot of us fly our spiritual lives 
Like, we're think, like we think we're a Tomcat pilot. Barrel rolls and all the like, yet we have no idea where we're going. And yet, we have not a flight instructor with a Google Images thing in front of him. We have the God of all heaven and earth directing our path, just saying there, will you listen to me? Just listen to me. I am a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And I'm joyriding all through space. I want to try this little barrel roll. I want to do that kind of a thing. I want to dive bomb down here. I want to see how close to that little shed I can get before I pull back up and see if the, my air, air wash or whatever it's called, jet wash, will blow that thing right off the edge of the mountain. When the psalmist said, will you revive us again? I can imagine God saying, sure. I want to. Every day I want to revive you. I want to restore you. I want to turn you. I want to direct you, inspire you, move you. But you have to sit down, be quiet, and listen. And then when I speak to you, do what I said. I've been heavy on the believers tonight. Heavy, specific to the believers tonight. If you're outside of Christ, you need a revival, period, end of story. And we've all sat in that seat. Coming to camp outside of Christ is the most beautiful and most terrifying thing we can experience. The blessing is that the same God that the same God that we're speaking of that wants to direct our path in that level of specificity and that level of detail and love impressed on our lives is the one that is reaching out to and speaking to you specifically. In particular, to your need. I'm becoming the old guy that introduces himself to one of my friend's daughters not realizing that it was their daughter. Three years is a long time. People have grown up. I don't know all of you in particular. I can't, I can't speak to a particular need that you have. I can't speak to a particular struggle that you have. And you know, when you say that your parents don't understand, that your teachers don't understand, that the ministers don't understand, we don't understand all the specifics. I'll, I'll confess. I did a teen sermon a couple of years ago and talked about MySpace, and people laughed at me. Wasn't aware that that wasn't a thing. At that point, TikTok wasn't a thing. So look where we are now. But the God of heaven and earth knows you specifically. He knows specifically that thing that you can't confess, that thing you can't forsake, and that thing that the devil is holding over you saying, you won't be able to do it. All of us, all of us need to listen this week. All of us need to be quiet this week without our wives, mothers, or grandmothers telling us so. And we need to do what we can read in, in the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I'm reproved. There's a lot of beautiful vistas around here. 
We just got done with a couple days in D.C. We spent a morning at Mount Vernon and watched what George Washington used to look at out over the Potomac. That's a beautiful vista. Stand on the vista of your life tonight and promise God that you will stand there and see what he will say unto you, but be willing, because we're able, to do what he asks. May the Lord bless these words. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this blessing we've been given to be back in this place after so long. We're so thankful to be here as a family of believers, to be worshiping you and to be taught out of your word. We're thankful for the things we've heard in this evening and, Lord, realize that we have a lot to learn in this week. For those of us who do know you as our Savior, we pray that you would be working in our hearts, that we would be seeking every day to see and to ask you where we need to change and where we've fallen short, and that that wouldn't just happen in this week, but that it would be something we carry with us as we go on into the coming year. And for those who don't know you as their Savior, we pray, Lord, that their need for revival would be obvious and that this week would be an opportunity for them to see the desperate need that they have, but the help that's available to them as well. We pray that this would be a blessing for all who could be here and for those who can't but are able to watch it from afar. We pray that you would continue to be with us in this place as we've already felt it in just the few hours that we've been here. We pray that you would continue to work in us, that your spirit would be powerfully felt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.